25% in the north and 28% in the south is already concessioned to mining companies. Rural Ireland is on the chopping block. After the Gold Rush, a podcast series with Jerry McGovern about how rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry under the guise of the phony green transition. You'll hear from environmental protectors about what their local communities are doing to protect the environment for future generations to enjoy. You'll learn about what we must do now so that we can have a chance of a sustainable earth for all. Episode 1. Green Sacrifice Zones Ireland is the 13th worst country in the world for biodiversity. We are internationally recognised as an ecological desert. Ireland is one of the worst places on the entire planet for nature, according to author Owen Dalton. And the vast majority of this damage has been done in the last 50 years. Ireland has a legally binding target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 by 51%. It's on course to get a 29% reduction. That's 43% below target. Not to worry, we're number one in the world for data centre and mining industry friendliness, which will increase pollution even more. With our practical environmental regulations and can-do, go-getter attitude. Our deeply cynical, utterly propagandist, North Korean-style state policy on mining promises to devastate nature even more, leaving mountains of toxic waste that will continue to poison the water, land and air for a thousand years, killing even more birds, bees, butterflies and fish leaving the worst possible legacy for future generations to try and clean up. A quite astonishing 25% of the total land area of Northern Ireland and 28% of the Republic of Ireland has been given over to mining prospecting, Linda Sullivan will explain. Those areas compare with an estimated 7.7% coverage of Scotland, 6.4% of Wales and 0.2 of 1% of England, according to the Guardian newspaper. Wales, a country that has recently had to allocate almost £300 million to deal with old mines polluting rivers, has seemingly learned some hard lessons. The Republic of Ireland instead has allocated 140 times more of its land to mining prospecting than England. How did we get to this sorry state? Irish culture used to deeply respect nature. The growth debt cult. That's what it was. We sold our environmental soul to the growth debt cult. Can we get it back? Linda Sullivan is first up in this After the Gold Rush series. Linda's a social and environmental justice activist, writer and researcher. She previously worked for human rights organisations in Ireland before spending five years in Latin America, mainly Peru, accompanying Andean communities in their resistance against mega-extractive industries. Linda's life experience reflects a crucial lesson. 
Mining is a global crisis and the only sustainable solution must be global. The communities of the world must unite against the mining oligarchs. Otherwise, they will divide and conquer as they always seek to do. Because as Linda will point out, the ancestors of the mining oligarchs were the slave traders, colonists and imperialists. After returning home and working on the issues of climate justice and extractivism with Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland for four years, Linda is now a freelance consultant for the Environmental Justice Network Ireland and the Yes to Life, No to Mining Global Network. Linda will give us some brutal facts about how Ireland is now designated as a green sacrifice zone for the mining industry and about the giant environmental con that is the so-called green energy transition. The island of Ireland is actually currently among like both north and south um, in the top three of countries most attractive to mining companies um, in terms of their policies. So the south's number one and the north's number three. So in the whole world, that's pretty shocking. I suppose that means like the policies are very laissez-faire in terms of regulation. There are very little checks done on companies before they're given licenses. The state really is hugely facilitative in terms of putting like a lot of resources in the mining, which means that the mining industry has this wealth of knowledge and resources sitting there to exploit, you know, so we have like the Geological Survey Ireland and the Geological Survey Northern Ireland are government funded, but like quasi independent bodies. And what, what they've been doing is mapping the um, geology of of the island to make that available for mining companies and to try to attract companies to Ireland. So GSNI um, have finished the mapping in the north and the border regions have finished and then GSI are currently finishing in the south. So that makes, according to them, Ireland the most detailed map country in the world in terms of geology. And, you know, they're doing that to draw the mining companies in and and it's worked, you know, like they, they take this information and they go to these like mining conferences. Like there's a main one is called PDAC and it happens once a year in Canada. And basically the global mining industry gather there and GSNI, GSI and the Irish governments, both North and South, basically sell Ireland off to these companies, you know, like they're, they're, the presentation they had a whole day like um, Ireland is open for business along with that they then sell off these prospecting licenses so it's like 25% in the north and 28% in the south is already concessioned the mining companies and because of this detailed map that I mentioned like in the north the Department for Economy have said that could rise to 70% 70% of the land in the north of Ireland could be concession and mining companies and I suppose we'll know how much after the, the map in the south's finished how, how much of that so both governments see the future of Ireland deeply invested in mining which which means that they're willing to sacrifice mostly rural communities to this very devastating very very contaminating very dangerous industry that has been like up to now done in a very like kind of cloak and dagger sort of way, you know, and especially like 
like there's very little opportunity for communities to say no prospecting licenses for example like so whenever they're for sale communities don't have any right to object at that stage that they're actually you know for sale where they live um and then it's only whenever there's a company who applies they, there's then the government has to do this consultation process which is very minimal and you're only allowed to respond in terms of prospecting you can't say anything about mining even though mining will surely like mining comes after and once a company is in the door it's very very hard to get them out we have a right to talk about mining at the start of the process we should talk about it before these companies are even in the room there should be a, a proper like fully participative land planning before these um, multinationals are allowed because when they're in the room then the power imbalance is huge you know the, the amount of resources they can throw at it it's done in a way to keep communities in the dark for as long as possible there's no there's no um official way that they could like object to the project and for that to be heard really it's like they're working on the assumption that these projects are going ahead and it's just how can we get these communities to agree to it or to go along with it or to cause as little trouble as possible once a company is in the door they could sue governments um who then don't allow them to carry through in the mining for loss of potential earnings green growth is an oxymoron it's greenwashing they say that mining can be one of the main, like a solution to the climate crisis. We can mine our way out of the climate crisis because for renewables, we need these transition minerals or so-called critical minerals and metals. There's policies um, popping up all over the place at EU level, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, you know, international level for like, how can we source these transition or, or critical minerals? But really, like um, this is continuing to force mining on the communities and ecosystems in a system that is hugely wasteful, hugely exploitative. You know, the amount of uh, minerals and metals that go to waste in the UK, 2 million lithium batteries are disposed of every wick in disposable vapes. You know, so, so lithium is a supposed critical mineral but it's being like thrown into these disposable batteries. Like that isn't need. Um, need is very different. And need can be satisfied with the so-called urban mining, which is like recycling of minerals and metals already extracted. Mining in Ireland has a long history. Britain as colonizer exploited Irish mines for, for centuries. Colonialism really was the mass exploitation of people and of the natural world, mostly by states, but also by um, the church and the crown. So really that exploitation and this extractive model continues to this day, but it's just like the new states are the multinational companies. And so it's still mass exploitation from the global south, mass extraction to satisfy the system of, of overconsumption that we have in rich nations in, in the global north. So I suppose mining is a form of neo-colonialism and it also stops like countries in the global south from recovering from centuries and centuries of exploitation because it continues to destroy the foundations of those societies, you know, like a, a healthy environment, um, a healthy political system, you know, the amount of corruption that happens in the mining industry. There are like loads of abandoned mines 
that continue to contaminate the mining waste sits there and it turns to dust and then you know it blows across the land it, it um or there's floods in the mines and it's um allowed to enter the water table and you know the surrounding area like continues to be devastated for decades and the companies are long gone and it's up to the state then to pick up the bill for trying to clean the place up so it just shows that companies aren't responsible after the exploitation is finished you know they they up and leave or they like you know they go bankrupt or they pass it on to another com- company who says well it wasn't us who made that agreement the best defense is to stop them getting in in the first place i think organizing early also gives you a head start on like community cohesion because like part of the strategy of the mining companies like a global riddle book is to get in and divide the community as early as possible pay off some people to do some jobs for them or you know just be like spokespeople and stuff but then like not pay off others and that causes the division and also the like fund like social programs and um, there's a whole array of propaganda that they throw in there so i think organizing early creates that foundation that can resist that and it can also be a way of like raising awareness of what the realities of what mining brings now with global communications and internet we can have very real examples of how mining has devastated communities across the globe you know i'm part of a, a global network yes the life node of mining and you know we have these emblematic cases this showcase how mining destroys but then how people can resist so i, I think learning this early as well you know it just kind of tools you up for the fight ahead so it's of our sparrows and the green castle people's office and cameo and park and and on all these um groups that have formed like local people dedicating so much of their spare time to organize uh to protect um their community to protect their land and their water and their air and protect all this for future generations so that's a major success story another success i would see would be the formation of the all island network communities against the injustice of mining so kaim and kaim also means in irish like a circle of protection and like that's what we feel it is like a circle of protection for communities on the front lines of of this mining threat and it brings together communities from wicklow from tipperary from clare um Leitrim, Cavan and Monaghan and the Sparrow Mountains in Ishowen. All these communities are supporting each other, sharing knowledge, sharing tactics, sharing support. And it's it's been a real enriching experience for everybody. And hopefully it can go from strength to strength. Obviously the mining laws, both north and south, are usually facilitative to the mining companies, so you know, so they need to be reformed. The granting of licenses should include strong environmental assessments, you know, so strategic environmental assessments which aren't currently carried out, um, and it hasn't been carried out on the mining policies either. But also human rights assessments, the actual process of communities being able to say no, you know that that needs to be reformed as well like so at the minute these consultations the way communities are consulted is hugely superficial um, and just tick box exercises so one of those transformative solutions that i would see would be like the rights of nature and the rights of communities so so that's basically given the natural environment 
given the living world, well, the same rights as corporations, because corporations are already considered as persons, extending human rights to include the natural world. Just bringing it back to what the economy actually means, which is like, you know, supporting us rather than exploiting us. Well, I think this state in its current form can't make the necessary changes because it's so tied in to industry and it's putting the interests of industry above that of its people, you know. So I think like uh, real change comes from the grassroots and movements are built from the grassroots. And then those movements hopefully can, you know, change, like change upward. But the most important change comes from communities, comes from the bottom, you know. So I suppose that's why, like, I would have a much stronger faith in local politics, you know, at like council level, like especially like we've been working in the north with councils with rights of nature motions and, you know, some um, activists from like, anti-mining campaigns and anti-fracking campaigns um, have got elected as independents in local councils and have been making great changes. I think like the states are just so captured that we can't wait on this kind of, we can't wait on them, you know, like hopefully they will follow. One great thing that, uh, one great like economic initiative that I love is like community wealth building. And that's like building this, this base of cooperatives that feed in the, uh, like they, like, so the state institutions, such as like the health service or the education board or whatever, become the anchor institutions. And then, but they then buy what they need or, or their services from the co-ops. Do Irish people know all this that Linda has just told us? Personally, even though I consider myself fairly well read in environmental issues, I had no idea until I talked to Linda and others for this podcast series that Ireland was so aggressively courting mining companies, going off to mining conferences and bragging about our pragmatic environmental regulations, are we now? Aggressively selling ourselves to mining companies that have the most odious reputations internationally for corruption, pollution and worse. Selling Ireland off to some of the worst characters imaginable. Are Irish people aware of this? Privatising our minerals and socialising the resulting toxic waste dumps? The mining oligarchs that the Irish state are so super eager to lure to this once ecologically beautiful Ireland are a dodgy crew if there ever was one. The vast majority of the 250 assessed mine sites across 53 countries cannot demonstrate that they are informing and engaging with host communities and workers on basic risk factors such as environmental impacts, safety issues or grievances. The 2022 Responsible Mining Foundation report states, As you'll hear, from environmental protector after protector in this series, the Irish state is doing everything in its power to keep the true intent of its mining strategy secret, to ride where possible under the banner of the so-called green transition, and to make mining seem innocent, sustainable and wonderful for the environment. You can do something to help. Tell your mother, father, brothers, sisters, uncles, cousins, friends, workmates. Spread the news about the green sacrifice zone that the Irish state intends to turn rural Ireland into 
under the guise of jobs and progress. Linda also covered the horrendous pollution from mining. And you'll hear in a later episode of After the Gold Rush from mining expert Pietro Jarre, who explains why for every tonne of mined material, there is often 99 tonnes more of toxic waste. How this waste lasts 1,000 years and how the mining companies are never, ever responsible for the long-term management of this waste. There's no such thing as sustainable mining. That's some joke. Greed for growth. That's what's driving the decision-making process in Ireland. Linda hints at larger issues at play too, driven by the Ukraine war, such as mineral security for Europe. And to achieve this mineral security, there must be green sacrifice zones. Have decisions been made outside Ireland to designate rural Ireland as a green sacrifice zone? The solution. First off, communities must get organised as early as possible, Linda advises. Only community and local action can stop mining. And that must happen before the mining company gets established. Join came. Ireland's Communities Against the Injustice of Mining. Check out the organisation Yes to Life, No to Mining. The overall solution? We must reduce consumption by at least 40% from today's levels. As you'll hear from ecological economist Caroline White in a later episode. This is totally doable although it requires a huge cultural shift where the dominant drivers become repair, reuse and reduction. We must reduce mining. In 1970, we mined 25 billion tonnes of material from the earth. In 2020, just 50 years later, we mined 100 billion tonne. By 2050, to achieve the greenwashing green transition, we will need to mine 170 billion tonnes. That's the mass of a Mount Everest every single year and growing. Life on Earth simply cannot survive the great devouring of the greed transition. Up next is Jacinta Van Roge who exposes how secretive and underhanded the Irish state is about its gung-ho mining policy and how so much prospecting is for gold, which isn't even a critical mineral for the so-called renewable energy transition. She also brilliantly dissects the whole green, clean renewable energy sham. We don't have an energy production crisis. We have an energy consumption crisis. We cannot have a sustainable world with unsustainable consumption. Every year, we consume, on average, 1.7 Earths of resources, with rich countries like Ireland consuming 4 Earths of resources a year. Those three extra Earths are withdrawn from the reserves of the Bank of Nature. We are exhausting those reserves and bankrupting nature. 
We can have an environment without an economy. We can't have an economy without an environment. The environment is the only true thing that's too big to fail. We must slow down. Jacinta is a founder member of Keep Tulla Untouched, a grassroots action group set up in response to the application and granting of a gold prospecting mining license for 52 townlands around Tulla, County Clare. With her partner Thomas, she runs Awan na Olfia, an off-grid homestead and centre for community resilience and self-sustained living. A company called Minko was granted prospecting licenses for an area of 52 townlands um, in and around uh, Tullock County Clare for gold, silver, barides and basin apples. There's many areas already held by another company called Hannon Metals and they've been prospecting around the majority of the, the surface of East Clare and Limerick for a while now. They're setting up what they refer to on their website as the global frontier of zinc mining and their supposed flagship is uh, just outside Ennis in Kilbricken. So we'd be about 20 kilometers from that up towards Scariff. There was um, one advertisement put in an online newspaper declaring this uh, application for this prospecting license. No one actually noticed until 3rd of January 2022. It felt like very underhand. When we got in touch with the county council, they felt quite offended that nobody in the council knew that it wasn't widely advertised, that it surely wasn't in the Clare Champion. The deadline for submissions was already nearly coming up. There was only days left in it. And so the county council got a, an emergency motion together and requested uh, an extension of that deadline. Uh, I think the Clare County Council discussed the idea of a moratorium on prospecting license for the, for the county till they knew more about it. Nevertheless, the year went by and then in February we were told that the license wasn't in fact granted. In the meantime, then we created our grassroots action group called Keep Tala Untouched. Contacting the department, the only message really that came through was, you know, a prospecting license means nothing. Um, it's just a desktop study. It's just soil samples. Prospecting is sometimes damaging to the environment as well. And that's completely overlooked. When you hear the information from the department about that, they're like, it's totally innocent. It's a desktop study. When you hear about the communities in Ireland dealing with holes being dug down into the ground and chemicals being put in them and then the holes are not closed up and it's seeping out. We're just trying to be vigilant and looking to see if we can see any prospecting happening, you know, sending out walking groups to keep an eye out for unusual activity on the land that isn't that doesn't look like farming. We're hearing from our friends in Leitrim, we're hearing from our friends in Tyrone and in Olma and other places that there is actually uh, quite an interest in gold mining in Ireland at the moment. And gold mining is so completely unnecessary. I mean, lots of other mining that is planned for Ireland appears to have some kind of role in the green transition. And that was difficult. It was actually really difficult on a personal level and caused a lot of grief to consider that when we stop burning fossil fuels and rely on green energy, we're actually just shifting to extractivism. So our area, particularly, we're a Hen Harrier and Merlin SBA. They are protected where we live, um, which covers about uh, maybe a fifth or more of the prospecting licensed area. 
There is also a national heritage site. Uh, there's a protected bog in the area. So it's very shocking to hear that anyone would even remotely consider such industry uh, where we live. People are also not aware that if you have a, a mine in one place, the air and water pollution could be, you know, 60 kilometers down the road. We just find that people don't know about it. They just don't know about it. Our own household, we're dependent on, on surface water. We are an off-grid homestead and we try to live a sustainable lifestyle. So we drink from the well and our house is gravity fed from a stream. And as you may know, gold mining is one of the most polluted mining types because it uses cyanide as a, as a processing agent. And that cyanide then is left in pools on top of land. You can't clean that ever. So it's just left there to seep into the groundwater. We contacted the National Parks and Wildlife Services and they were not informed about any such development being even remotely considered in the county. When Leitrim created submissions for their county development plans and managed to include within the Leitrim plan the restriction of cyanide, mercury and sulfuric acid as processing agents within the county, then we were inspired to kind of create that in Clare as well. Mercury and cyanide and sulfuric acid are prohibited as you, for use as a processing agent within the county of Clare now as well. The county councils are very keen to protect the groundwater and the air and the biodiversity and the health of its people living here. The council is very willing to, um, to help there, you know, the, the, I guess there's a sense of shock that the government would, um, would be willing to, to sacrifice the natural beauty and the health of these um, outer regions of, of Ireland and Europe, in fact, that are known for their scenery. And it seems like one of the last unspoiled or wild vestiges of not just Ireland, but even Europe are being um, targeted for profit because that's what gold mining is. It has no room in, in the green transition. It doesn't, it's not for batteries or the creation of wind turbines or any of that. It's simply for the, the markets and for uh, decadent objects like gold rings or teak. Why now when the climate is struggling, we all want to do a bit. We need to change to improve our relationship with Mother Earth and stop ripping out her resources to, to create a more decadent life. And then we start creating gold mines in places of beauty and where wildlife is protected. It makes no sense at all. When we first contacted the department and we were on to uh, Senator Roshan Garvey, who's done a lot for our county, I suppose, um, we just kept being repeated, you know, like uh, it's just uh, it's, it's policy. Uh, the minister can't even prevent it. Uh, and we were like, if Minister Ryan can't stop these licenses from being issued when he has to sign for them, like who can? Who is then in charge of the government? Like, because can we ever ask that person to reason with us, you know? When we first made a public Zoom meeting, I contacted Minko. And when you type in their name in Google, you get an address for Dalradian gold mine. But then I, I sent them a message uh, asking them to speak and, and clarify their position for the purposes of our public Zoom meeting. And they were more outraged because they were like, Minko Limited has nothing to do with Dalradian. So to me, that felt so clear that, you know, they, they, are, they are a subsidiary of them. It's quite clear when you Google it, it's, they're all connected. We already know from communities in Oma and other places that the community does not benefit, that there's very little jobs for local people. The only thing you stand to gain as a community is that your water is destroyed for all eternity.
there is no transparency about the risks that are being put to a community. There is no input. I can't talk to the company. I can't talk to the government. The council can't talk to the government. There's no one here explaining anything. We hear nothing. Everything we've learned, we had to uncover ourselves. And also there seems to be an onus on me as a resident of Ireland to start proving things, you know? I'm just a concerned person living in an area of beauty and protection. So I do know the County Council is very happy that the public has been informing them because they don't get information from anywhere. And it just seems that rural Ireland is on the chopping block. We're worried constantly the government is putting out this idea that our mines are safe and clean and wonderful. When a disaster happens, no one cleans it up. I literally heard the minister say that in my presence, you know, there will be a mine. And when the minister stood in Ennis talking about wind energy and wave energy, and he, and he literally saying there will be a mine and all the industry um, that will follow that. And he was like proud, people of the Green Party members sitting there applauding him. And you're wondering what happened to the Green Party? <laughs> kept saying it we need to stop burning things and it's like okay so we stop burning things but we put cyanide in our water instead like seriously what is the story here but he was definitely selling the message that we better prepare for industry in this part of the world so now that we do not get our energy from um, russia anymore it's been clear europe wants to create its own energy system within its own borders where do you hear it on the television where do people say it open and wide Green transition is reliant on extractivism. Massive holes in the ground with poison in your water. In the next 30 years or so, we're going to do as much mining as we've done in the last 10,000 years. And th that's just frightening. And why, when the well, minister stood up talking about the way forward, did he, never did he never use the word reuse or recycle or reduce? You know, not once did he say reduce. Any of the civil servants I've dealt with myself over this, they were completely not clued in about this at all. The policy of the government of Ireland currently is that three men go into a room and make a decision. I'm really daunted for the Irish environment, the future of Ireland, because people seem to find it difficult to hear or believe that the government is not feeding them the exact story of what's planned and probably has been planned for a very long time so that we can be on the big boy table on an economic level. It's not about creating energy for the people who live in Ireland. It's for these data centers. We had amber alerts from the grid this last year. And then you hear on the radio that the main priority is to keep the data centers going and that they take from the domestic grid to feed the companies. Because can you imagine the embarrassment on a global level if multinationals were out of electricity? Sure, if we don't do it in Ireland, then they'll do it in other countries. It's such a nonsense. And we're not going to stop mining over in other countries. They're just expanding the industry. It's not like we'll take a hit for the environment and somewhere else will be fine. That's another form of greenwashing, you know? So it's just steeped in little lies and propaganda every step of the way. And once it's done, it's done and you can't go back. And our children just won't have a healthy environment. And that's why the heart rate does be up and, you know, the children are scared for the future. Literally, we have we have children at home who find it hard to sleep sometime when they hear their parents talking about mining and they're struggling, you know, to think that the beauty they're growing up in it may be under threat. And it's hard to explain to the youngsters uh, when you, when they love the environment. But you'd think that an EPA would 
put their foot down and say, you know, we don't recommend that kind of industry in the West of Ireland. It, it doesn't make sense. So the fact that they're not doing that, not in our area or anywhere else, is indicative, of course, that, that they're facilitating. Um, I'd love to see the opposite proven, but I'm not going to hold my breath. We're, we're stretched, you know, we're not, we're not resourced to be dealing with this, but you're finding that if you just let it happen, no one's coming to tell us about it. At no level is there any, um, sharing in the decision making process. And, and even then when I, when we talk to our friends in Tyrone, there's actually, you know, the element of where, where we've heard from them that they're being threatened and criminalized. Trying to stand up for their community is, um, criminalized. And it's really, yeah, it's not a, not a very bright outlook for us as a community. Mining propaganda, misinformation, no information. The greenwashing of Irish mining policy involves telling us that we're going to do all this mining for the good of the earth and for the health and happiness of future generations. Sustainable and sustainability are mentioned more than 100 times in the Irish mining policy document. The words environmental and environment are used over 150 times, which accounts for almost 1% of the total words used in a 22,000 word document. Circularity is mentioned 40 times in a mining document, circularity. The very total, absolute, total, absolute opposite of circularity is mining. Mining is spelled L-I-N-E-A-R. Even if we were to accept for a moment the renewable energy propaganda for mining, it still doesn't justify gold mining because gold is most definitely not one of the identified critical minerals needed for renewable energies like solar, wind turbines or electric cars. Don't forget the names Minco and Dalradian, both gold speculators. We'll hear more about them in our next episode from Emma Caron and Fidelma O'Kane. As Jacinta mentioned, she got in touch with Dalradian and was told that there was no connection with Dalradian and Minko. We'll see about that. Another thing that struck me while listening to Jacinta and others was that the local councils are not being informed either. They are being kept out of the loop. And so too are many other relevant state organisations with responsibility for the environment as well as many civil servants and even politicians. It seems like there is a tight, secretive group driving mining policy, who pulls their strings. Mining is, after all, notorious for regulatory capture, where big mining writes the policy for governments. I really do advise you to have a read of Big Mining's Irish Mining Policy document. Sorry. The Irish state's mining policy. It is so bad, so propagandist, so absurd, so bizarrely 40 shades of greenwashing. It takes the Irish public for being so dumb, so dim, so disinterested. Are we? Are we really this disinterested? And when people 
do wake up a bit and finally find some official to ask, they're cynically told, sure, it's just prospecting, nothing to worry your little head about. Oh, they've started mining and polluting your groundwater for a thousand years. Now, who would have ever guessed that the next step after prospecting is mining? In 2001, in an Irish Supreme Court case concerning mining in Crowpatrick in County Mayo, a senior officer from the Department of Energy was quoted as saying, the holder of a prospecting license does not have a guarantee of obtaining a mining license in respect to the prospective mine. Nevertheless, if it is proven that there are reserves there, there is a high likelihood of the mine being granted to the holder of the license. As the saying goes, they're not prospecting for the good of their health and for sure not for the good of the environment. Another important point from Jacinta that we will keep returning to is that renewable energy is no solution if we keep on consuming and wasting like we currently do. We must reduce consumption. Renewable energy is only partly renewable. Its infrastructure and equipment require iron, aluminium, copper, lithium, rare earths and multiple other non-renewable metals. To get these materials, we must mine and we must cause mountains of toxic waste every year. No environment can survive that relentless extractivism. This is why we don't just have a climate crisis. We have a water crisis, a soil crisis, a biodiversity crisis, a chemical crisis, a plastic crisis, because we are using vastly too much of the Earth's materials and turning them into toxic waste. We have moved from consumers to devourers. This is the age of the great devouring. 60% of Irish birds have been devoured by our progress since 1970. 60% in just 50 years. We have crossed at least six of the nine boundaries within which human life on earth will still be possible for future generations. These boundaries are number one, climate heating. Global temperatures are poised to cross the critical 1.5 Celsius mark. The scientific consensus is that beyond that point, catastrophic and potentially irreversible impacts are likely. Number two, biodiversity. There has been a 60% decline globally in biodiversity in just 50 years. Number three, land use, soil degradation and desertification are rampant. Number four, novel entities such as nanoplastics are proliferating. Number five, biogeochemical flows such as nitrogen and phosphorus are in deluge. Number six, freshwater change. We are running out of fresh water. We have a global water crisis and mining creates massive quantities of polluted water. 
we've pumped so much groundwater that we've nudged the Earth's spin. The global urban population facing water scarcity is projected to potentially double from 930 million in 2016 to between 1.7 and 2.4 billion people in 2050, according to the UN. Ireland, despite the fact that we get so much rain, is not immune to this crisis due to years of mismanagement. By 2019, there were just 20 Irish rivers in pristine condition, down from 575 in the 1980s. That's a 97% decline. Like so many other environmental issues, the European Union has had to take Ireland to court to try and stop us polluting our water. In a future episode, you will hear from Pietro Driar, an environmental engineer with 30 years experience dealing with mining waste. He will explain how mining destroys the water table. Fidelmo Cain from the Sperrams, Eddie Mitchell from Leitrim, Anthony McNulty from Wicklow will all talk of their well-founded fears for local water. And they are absolutely right to be afraid. Wherever mining goes, water suffers through use and pollution. It is not possible to mine without damaging groundwater. And usually that damage will last 1,000 years or more. Big mining is the worst possible ancestor. It leaves a terrible legacy for future generations to clean up. And it knows this and it doesn't care. It will push every limit possible in pursuit of a fast buck. How surreal has life become when the leader of the Irish Green Party, the minister responsible for mining, gets up on a podium in Clare and tells the audience that there will be a mine. There will be heavy industry in Clare, in some of the last unspoiled areas of nature. And he is cheered and clapped by his Green Party members. Why? Well, one reason is that the Irish Green Party is terrified of telling the Irish people the hard truth, that we must reduce consumption to have any hope of survival. Not without reason, they feel the Irish people would punish them politically if they told them the cold, brutal truth. They don't believe we Irish are willing to make any meaningful sacrifices. Are they right? Consider that in 2023, seven of the top 10 selling cars in Ireland will be planet-destroying SUVs or crossovers. In Ireland, we've become very greedy for materials and for the vanity, arrogance and wastefulness of modern living. No sane, self-interested politician will tell us this, of course. Our planet is rapidly approaching an environmental apocalypse. We are the last generation who can do something meaningful about it. It's never been more important to bear witness, to speak truth to power, to speak up and speak out and get organised. 
Of course, this will be hard. In this twisted world, few groups are more maligned and hated than environmentalists. One of the most dangerous professions in the world, in Northern Ireland, as we'll hear from Fidelmo Kane in the next episode, the police and courts are criminalising dissent. It's all part of big mining's cruel, Machiavellian, long-used, highly successful playbook. They use the exact same tactics all over the world. First, they try and bribe and buy the social licence. And if that doesn't work, they use state agents to intimidate, physically attack and criminalise environmental protectors. Those who want clean water will get a water cannon, a rubber bullet or worse. And with the greed transition, expect all of this violence to increase tenfold. We must organise at a local level. Local councils are key. Jacinta mentions how councils in Leitrim, Clare and elsewhere are banning the use of cyanide and mercury which are needed for the processing of gold. Communities must get organised and in the next episode we'll hear from Emma Caron, also based in Clare, and Fidelmo Kane from the Save Our Sperms group in Tyrone and Derry. These brave and determined women are being good ancestors. They need support, lots of it. Get active, organise locally. The scientists are telling us every day we are the last generation who can truly do something to stop this livable environment tipping over and collapsing. We must act now. Thanks for listening to After the Gold Rush, a podcast series about how rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry and what local communities can do about it. Please get active and spread the word.